Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth, truth that you are the rock of ages. We thank you that uh, our refuge is in thee. And Lord, as we turn to a psalm which is really about that refuge that we can find in you, I pray that you would work within each of us this morning. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our lives, you know the things that we're facing. And I pray that as we turn to your word expectantly, wanting to hear from you, wanting you to work within us by your spirit, that you would minister to us exactly where we need it. For those of us who need to be upheld and encouraged and strengthened, do your work. For those of us who need to be prodded and prompted, do your work. But we ask this morning that you would work within each of us, by your spirit, individually but also collectively as a church family. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the uh, difficult aspects of life to cope with is the ever-changing circumstances that we face. Money can be gained and money can be lost. Possessions can be bought and possessions can be broken. Relationships can be enjoyed, but those same relationships at other stages can be endured. And in a world where things change so easily and so quickly and so unexpectedly, it can make finding security, true security, true safety, true refuge, very, very hard. And that's because the things that we think can provide that safety or security uh, or refuge, the things that we, we crave will give us that, are the very things that change. The self-esteem, where one day we feel on top of the world and we can beat anything, can change in a moment. Our health can fade. Our relationships can be taken from us or break up. Our possessions can rust, break or be sto stolen. Our lives can lurch from settled to shaken in the blink of an eye and we never know when it might, might happen. And so no lasting security or safety or refuge is possible in this ever-changing world. You can see it all around you. Uh, in the mid-90s, there were few bigger names on the planet than Jonah Lomu. He was the first, I think, true superstar of world rugby. And I still think today the, the biggest and brightest in terms of fame and, and what he did and achieved. At one point, I'd contend that he was the most physically intimidating force on the planet. What he did to opposition players uh, was the stuff of legend. And to think that any one person could tackle Jonah or one team could tackle Jonah or, or slow him down or get in the way of his strength and power and speed was unthinkable. Uh, I loved it when he joined the Blues. We used, to live, we used to win back then when Jonah played for it. In 1995, he was unstoppable and unbreakable. And yet then he develops kidney failure. In 2003, he has to go on to dialysis. In 2004, he has to have a transplant. And then, aged only 40 years old, this one who was a force of nature and a sight to behold died. Life changes so quickly. And the things that we hold on to and that give us confidence and security change. No matter what we put our confidence in, this fallen world will ruin it. Everything changes, fades, breaks, dies. And in a world like that, it's hard to find lasting security and safety. It's hard to find refuge. Well, this morning's psalm is one of David's. I hope you can see it behind me. And it's about finding our refuge in the one place and one place alone that it is, in the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 1? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take my refuge. 
Now, one of the difficulties of uh, preaching a psalm like this is that some people here today will not be in a place in life where you think you need this. Life's great. I'm good. Things are golden. Listen up. I'm pleased for you if that's where you're at in your life uh, at the moment, but they won't always be. And you will need this at some stage in your life. And more than that, you need to put this into life, into effect in your life now before you get to those difficult times. So listen this morning. But for others of you this morning, you may be in such a low place going into 2018. You're thinking, well, this is too late. This is too little too late. There's no light at the end of the tunnel, no way to stop the spinning out of control. If that's you this morning, I want to say as gently as I can, you're wrong. It's not too little and it's not too late. And David, who wrote the psalm, the Lord, who wrote it through him, and I, who's speaking this morning, want you to know this. You can find refuge in the Lord, no matter what you're going through at the moment. Now, this is a psalm, it's a song, and so I'm going to try and get a feel for it. Instead of going through all the details bit by bit, I want us to simply dip in and out, note a few things, and pick up the main thrusts. So let's start uh, dipping into it. You can see, and Luke read this out, and so he should, because it's not just the heading in the Bibles it's actually that, that was put in by editors many years later. It's actually part of the, uh, the official scriptures. You can see it's called a miktam of David. What's a miktam? I'm glad people said they've got no idea. No one knows. You're not alone. No one knows what a miktam is. But it's the title of a few of the Psalms. It comes up a few times, but no one can be exactly sure what it is. But we do know who David is, who wrote this. This is King David, the greatest of all Israel's kings. This is the one who a number of times in the Bible it says was a man after God's own heart. But this is also a man who knew pain. This is also a man who knew suffering. He knew what it was to let God down in a way that I'm sure he felt he could never be forgiven for. He knew what it was to have family members turn against him and betray him in a way which must have broken his heart. This is a man that knows joy and suffering. But this particular psalm is one where he's talking about the confidence and assurance he has in his Lord. Have a look at the language that he uses in this song. Verse 1, in you I take refuge. Verse 5, you have made my lot secure. Verse 8, the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Verse 9, my body also will rest secure. Do you hear the language of this psalm? That's what we can get from the Lord according to David. People of the world look for this in all the wrong places. They, they, people in the world think if they find the right person, well, then I'll feel safe and secure. If I find the right possession, well, then I'll feel good and okay. If I find the right path, well, then I'll be... Or The truth is, friends, this can only be found in the one who made us. This kind of safety and security and refuge can only be found in the one who created the whole world and loves you more than you can ever know. That's the refuge we're talking about this morning. It's only in the Lord. So verse 1, I think, acts as a kind of heading over the whole psalm. This is what it's about. But notice there's two parts to verse 1. There's a prayer of David where he's asking God for something, and then there's an action of David where he's doing something. Do you see that? He prays, keep me safe, O God. He's asking God, keep him safe. But then he says that he does something. He takes refuge in the Lord. And they're the two aspects of the, the psalm. 
There are things that David does to have refuge in the Lord, and there are things that God has done that he remembers that that help him find refuge in the Lord. And we need to see both aspects. When we see what David has done, it's great, because we can try and put it into effect in our lives. But we also need to remember what God's done for us, because then we can remember those truths and keep them at the front of our head and our hearts. So we're all about taking refuge in the Lord this morning. Three things we should do like David very quickly, and three things to remember that the Lord's done very quickly. That's the structure of it. So firstly, three things for us to do like David. And the first is this. Put God first. It's very simple, and yet so hard. Put God first. Do you see it in verse 2 and 4? David says, I said to the Lord, you're my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. And then verse 4, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations, that's liquid offerings, their, their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. David says, the Lord is number one for him. Apart from him, he says, there's no other good. And apart from him, he says, there's no other God. No other good, no other gods. God comes first. That's who David lives for. That's what David lives for. Friends, to make God your refuge, he's got to be number one in your life. If he's not, you'll never find that security and safety and protection in him. Before work, before pleasure, before money, before even family, the Lord must be number one. Sometimes our priorities get a shake-up in life. Sometimes things will happen to us where actually as a result of that we, are, we reorient ourselves and the things we hold highly and the things that we put our time and effort into. Some of you may not have had experiences yet that does that for you in life. But some of you here this morning know this kind of thing only too well. When you go to the hospital and you lose a loved one or you find out news that will change your life forever, suddenly it doesn't matter what kind of car you're driving as you head back home or how many bedrooms there are, or what it looks like. Something's happened and it's reoriented your life. Every person must put the Lord number one. Whatever it is you're consumed by, or thinking, or is your pa- the Lord must be number one. Re- if he's not, reorient your life. It's too important to get it wrong. For David, God was number one. Now, this is a song, and uh, as we know, in songs there's hyperbole, there's kind of exaggeration. I'm sure that if we were chatting to David today about verse 2, he'd tell us that there were other good things in his life, but none that compared to the Lord. He had no other good, verse 4, no other gods. People in this world today follow other gods. We think idolatry is not a thing today because most people don't bow down behind a, to a wooden statue or a metal statue. But we, anything we put in the place of God becomes for us a God. It is idolatry. For some of us, our looks and health is our God. So if that's good, we're good. If it's not good, and it won't be always, then we're not good. For some of us, it's our relationships. We live for them and we find our worth and happiness. For some, it's money and career. For some of us, it's pleasure and sex, the respect of other people. But none of those things last. None of those things remain. It all changes, all fades, all breaks, all gets lost, all dies. David says for him, there's no other good, no other God, only the Lord. And the good news of that in terms of refuge is... That's brilliant because there's the one that doesn't change, the one that doesn't fade or break, 
that we can be lost from. That's why we can have refuge in it. But it won't work if you try to tack God onto the rest of your life ranked number six or seven. It only works if you put him where he needs to be, number one in your life. So no other good thing or other, put God first. Secondly, delight in the saints. Have a look at verse three. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight, David writes. David basically says that all his delight is in the people of God. In other words, think about it, if you want to take refuge in God, you must delight in his people. You must delight in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you? Don't answer that. It's not something that comes naturally to all of us. Uh, Sometimes Christian relationships uh, can be seen as tame or boring or dull, not as exciting as non-Christian relationships or fake in some way. Sometimes we see the hypocrisy in other Christians, but that's not a genuine relationship. Sometimes non-Christian relationships can seem more interesting, more exciting. But David is right when he says in verse 4, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods because they've got no refuge long term. They may find something temporarily, but it fades over time. And it's good to be aware of this. Really good to think about your relationships because I'm not sure I know of one thing more responsible for leading people away from the Lord than non-Christian relationships. Romantic or non-romantic relationships. There's a reason why the Bible is full of warnings to invest time and effort into the people of God, into brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if your delight is in his people and your brothers and sisters, if you spend time with them, think about them, pray for them, encourage them, rebuke them, pick them up when they need it, you're in a much better spot. Make them a priority. Almost the first thing people want to do when they're finding life difficult is pull away from the people of God. You can't because we need each other. Make them a priority. That'll be hard sometimes. I would imagine all of us can probably think of times when we've been let down by other Christians. We've received terrible advice. Or when we've been doing it tough, they've just only focused on themselves. Or they've done something we find hard to stomach. But being the kind of Christian friend you want, instead of being bitter about what they're not, that's always the best way forward. And that will help you delight in them. So put the Lord first, delight in the saints. Thirdly, and this is hard, but thirdly, Be content and thankful. Verses 5 and 6. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now just before you go, well, that's all very well for King David to pray. All very well for David with his palace. Well, he didn't have a palace city, but he had a lot of other stuff. All very well for David. David didn't. When it talks about the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant life, he spent a lot of his life on the run. Because uh, that's talking about when the Israelites came into the land and were given a place. But David's saying, in that all that the Lord's given me, I will be thankful and content. That's what he's saying. It's also linked to what he said in verse 2, when he said, apart from you, I have no good thing. He doesn't say he's got no good thing, but he recognises that all the good things come from the Lord. When you realise that every good thing you have comes from the hand of the Lord, much easier to be thankful and content. And remember, as I said before, this is a guy who knew pain and suffering. But there are always things to give thanks for if we will see them. Sometimes it's harder to do that than others. I'm not pretending otherwise. 
Sometimes we can be so low, we've got to actually work hard at thinking of the things to be thankful for. But I'm asking you to do that because it brings balance and it's true. We've spoken about contentment and thankfulness here at at St. Stephen's before. And uh, specifically from the New Testament where Paul says he learnt the way of contentment. I find that encouraging all the time because it says it's not natural. It doesn't just happen. You've got to kind of learn it. I think the phrase we used when we looked at this was think thankfulness. It doesn't just happen, thankfulness. You've got to think thankfulness. It's why I love Thanksgiving Day in America. Because as I understand it, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that, that um, they already did Thanksgiving Day in, in different states. But when Abraham Lincoln brought it all together for a national one, he said, we've got so much to be thankful for and we won't unless we stop, pause and thank the one who's given it to us. It's a great thing to do. Think thankfulness. Uh, a good way to do it, I think I said, we started doing this a year or two ago in a family. The, the most natural part for lots of Christians to give thanks is when? Grace. Most of us say grace, where we thank the Lord for the food. Try and add in your graces one other thing to be thankful for. Just force yourself to kind of think of one other thing to be thankful for uh, and thank him. So there's three things for us to do to take refuge in the Lord. Put the Lord first. Delight in his people and work on thankfulness and contentment. Now, very quickly, three things to remember about him as we do those things. Firstly, remember, he's your counsellor. It's become popular nowadays to have counsellors in all areas of life. I feel like everywhere I turn I see more counsellors. This is not against counsellors, but we've got them in our education institutions, we've got them in many workplaces, we've got them in hospitals and prisons, and just in case we're not involved in any of those institutions, we've got ones who are set up for private practice so that we can go and see them if we need to as well. And it's not rocket science what they do. They give counsel. They give advice and wisdom and thoughts. Well, verse 7 reminds us that Christians have... God as our counsellor. Have a look, verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I think I'm right in saying that most counsellors work on weekdays and before sunset. Not this one. Even all the way through the night, whenever you need him, he's at work for you. Through his word, by his spirit, he teaches his people, you and I, and counsels us. So listen to him. Learn from him. Pay attention to him. Don't switch your brain off. He doesn't normally work in someone who's not listening. Saul on the road to Damascus is unusual in the scriptures because he wasn't really expecting it. The Lord normally speaks to us and instructs us and counsels us to us as our ears are attuned to him and we're listening for him. Don't fill your head and time with so much other stuff you, won't, you don't have time for the Lord to counsel you. But you've got him as your counselor, the one to advise you and instruct you, and lead you, and guide you. Remember, he's your counsellor. Second, remember, he's your right-hand man. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This is a reminder for every Christian, you're never alone, even if you feel you're alone. He's always there at your right hand, helping you and assisting you. And I love the phrase of the at your right hand because when we use the phrase right hand man, it's the person who's always with us and who's the most help and most assistance to us. The Lord is described in that way as your right hand man. Just stop and think about what an incredible thing it is to call the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of the universe, your right hand man. And yet that's our privilege as Christians. 
He's with you at all times on your right hand. And what's the result of having the Almighty on your right hand? I will not be shaken. I love those words. Have a look at it in verse 7. I love that phrase. If anyone should know the power of those words, it's us here in Christchurch, right? We know the power of shaking. We know what it can do, the destruction and the devastation. But David says, when you've got the Lord at your right hand, you will not be shaken. In fact, I was going to call this talk, Stirred But Not Shaken. But and it wasn't that good, so that's why I didn't. But think about what that means. It means nothing can spin you away from him. Nothing can take you out of his grasp. You don't have to face anything alone because he's your right-hand man. So he's your counsellor, he's your right-hand man. Lastly, he's your saviour. Let's read from verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Here's a promise that God will save his people through eternity. These are the best-known verses of the, of the psalm because they're quoted a few times in the New Testament. In fact, in the book of Acts, which we've been doing as our series, both Peter and Paul use these words, quote this psalm, in their first recorded sermons. We saw one of them on the day of Pentecost with Peter. We'll see one of them in a couple of months with Paul. And, of course, they quote them because they saw their fulfilment in Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One who would not see decay, the one who conquered death, and the reason we can know these words are true. The promise here is that not even the greatest enemy of this world that allows no security or safety or refuge, what's the biggest enemy in this world that allows no safety or security or refuge? Death. These words promise that not even death, the greatest of enemies, will ruin things for the Christian. And the proof of that is Jesus Christ the Holy One who didn't see decay. Death itself is beaten. It's not to be feared in the same way. It's lost its sting because Jesus has smashed it. And so instead of living in a world only looking forward and seeing death, we as the people of God are able to see beyond death to joy in God's presence and eternal pleasures. And I love it that it says eternal pleasures. I love the sound of eternal pleasures. I hope you do. We should rejoice in that. It's a great thing. It shouldn't surprise us. The new creation that awaits us is to be enjoyed. It's not just sitting on the cloud with the harp string. It's it's to be enjoyed like this world. The new creation that's spoken of at the end of Revelation is like this world with the thrills and blessings and excitement and exhilaration, except without sin blotting it and ruining it. That's what you and I can look forward to. That's what we can hold on to now. And did you notice there's another right hand in that last verse? In verse 8, we're to set the Lord before us so that he's on our right hand. But the wonderful truth is, that for all who have the Lord on their right hand in this life, the Lord will put them at his right hand in eternal life. I love that picture. That's what Jesus achieves by his life and death for us. He is your saviour. Life is fleeting. Everything changes. But you can have security and safety. You can have refuge in the Lord. But in in the Lord only. People look for it everywhere. 
but they can't find anything that lasts. As I said, it all fades or breaks or gets lost or dies. But in the Lord, it's different. But it doesn't happen by accident, finding refuge in the Lord. So three things to do, three things to remember. Things to do, put the Lord first in your life. Delight in his people and actively pursue thankfulness and contentment. But then on top of that, remember, he's your counsellor. He's your right-hand man and he's your saviour. And when you know that, you know that you have refuge in this ever-changing world. We just sang it. Rock of ages, cleft for me, hide me now, my refuge be. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths of this psalm. And in a world where often we feel like we're alone, or things have changed, or we don't know what the future holds, we thank you that we can have certainty and assurance in you. For any of us here this morning that have not uh, made this change and put you number one, I pray that you would help us live these things out in our life more and more. But I also pray, Father, that we would remember these wonderful truths. What a privilege to have you as our counsellor, you as our right-hand man, and you as our saviour. Encourage our hearts and minds in this wonderful truth this day and always. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.